Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. My name's Brian, Brian Sturm. I'm on staff. Uh, I think this is my, starting my 27th year on staff, so I'm old. Um, but uh, I was a student at K-State, came to Christ at K-State, and uh, right after I graduated, came on staff. So uh, part of my role is I help oversee our leaders, our, our leadership training, small groups, things like that. We're a team, but I, I help oversee that. Um, I've got a picture of my family, just so you know a little bit about me. So this is at my son's wedding. I got the, the privilege to uh, perform my oldest son's wedding this October. And my wife, Mindy, there is there in the blue. A- another motivation for fall conference, I met Mindy at fall conference. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to date her at the time, but I met her. You know, we, we got to know each other. Uh, not to say that she wasn't, you know, anyway. <laughs> She'll slap me for that later. Uh, so she's awesome. She's a nurse uh, and the head nurse of the school district, and uh, she has a great ministry among kids and families in the school district. And then my son, Elijah, in the suit, he's the groom, and his wife, Audrey, they live in Lawrence, you know. She's a grad student there in Speech Path, and he's a, a, a crew chief for a construction company there. And then uh, my daughter, Emma, is Emma in the house? Yeah. Yeah, Emma's in the house, yeah. So she's a sophomore here. At, she's repping Kappa, so she's a, she's a Kappa girl. <laughs> they got some energy back there. So that's Emma. And then our mutant gene son, the one that's tall there, he's, uh, that's Cooper. He's like, six, he's like six feet tall. I don't know what happened, but he's a mutant. And uh, he's a senior in high school. And he's in cross country right now. He's in track. Um, he's a great guy. And then uh, my youngest, Zeke, he is a sophomore in high school. He does half at MHS, half homeschool. And he's uh, starting to get pumped up. He's, he's lifting weights at the high school. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's always like, oh, I cleaned this much or benched this much. And we're like, yeah, you know. So, so yeah, he'll, he'll be able to take me down here pretty soon. Uh, so, anyway. That's, that's a little bit about me, so you know who I am. Um, so we are in the middle of this series called Unentitled, Finding Freedom in the Shadow of the Cross. And Robbie started it off a, a couple weeks ago, and Nate picked it up last week. And uh, really, Nate kind of kicked off uh, the section of Scripture that really the theme runs almost through all the end of chapter 4. So I'm going to kind of dip in to where Nate left off. But if you remember, kind of the context or the theme of the book is one of the themes is Paul is trying to get us to embrace the idea that we are not our own. You know, in our culture, what's, what's, the, Burger King, what's the Burger King slogan? Have it your way, right? We're entitled. I don't want tomato. I don't want lettuce. I want barbecue instead of mayo. I want to have it my way. And if you don't give it to me, I won't give you my business, you know? We're entitled. We feel like our, we have all these rights. We're independent, fiercely independent and proud. It's our heritage. But Paul is writing people in Corinth who were very similar to us, and he's hammering in the fact that the crucified Christ paid for our sins. He bought us with a price, and we are not our own. 
Life is actually found in dying to ourselves. And that's kind of the message of the Christ, uh, of, this, of the book, that Christ wants to free us from entitlement and self-centeredness, to be free to love rather than to take. Well, if you remember in Corinth, I said they were fiercely independent. This, the city was probably about seventy to 80,000, and some people think about half of that population were freed slaves. And so you can imagine how much they value their independence, their freedom, their autonomy, because they had bought their freedom. They didn't want to be bound by anything. They loved their freedom. They rose up the ladder to success and wealth. They promoted themselves. They were competitive. You know, you walk around campus and you see the names on the stadiums, like, what, I don't even know, but the name of whatever stadium, and it's the person who donated all the money that's what Corinth was like. They would donate all this money and get an engraving with their name on it so people would know that they had money, they had influence. And it was a very sexually broken culture. There were pagan uh, temples everywhere and part of worship involved going to a temple prostitute and having sex for worship. It was broken. Very similar to our culture, right? Proud, proud, independent, wealthy, climbing up the ladder of success, sexually immoral culture. But Paul came into Corinth and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ became a man. He was the son of God, became a man, lived a perfect life, and he was crucified a brutal death for our sin, our rebellion that had separated us from our God, our creator, who is longing for relationship with us. And not only the physical death, but God poured out his white, hot, burning wrath against sin on his only son so that we would be free from wrath if we would repent of our sin and entrust our lives to Jesus. And he preached this message and they repented. They found life. They started embracing the crucified Christ. And then so Paul kind of thought they were established and he left and then he gets the letter and he says there's this report in chapter one, verse 10. Nate started this last week, but I wanna revisit it again because this is the theme of these few chapters. Paul is writing and this is what he's writing about in these chapters. He says, I'm appealing to you that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there would be no divisions among you they would be per that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. After Paul had left, they were fighting, they were bickering, they were arrogant. They were taking pride in their gifts. They were taking pride in their leaders. There was this quarreling and division, and Paul says, enough. Come to be unified in mind and thought. And that's the answer or the cure to division and quarreling. It's called repentance. It's changing our mind. It's changing the way we think about who we are, who others are, who God is, what life is about. We repent. We turn away from our worldly wisdom and our self-reliance, and we turn to the words and the wisdom of God, and we order our lives that way. But it changes, or it starts with a change of mind and thought. And so we're just going to continue this thought about this idea, and I'm going to pick up uh, just where Nate was just to review what he talked about, but this idea that the cure for division is repentance over self-reliance 
and worldly wisdom. If you remember, Nate took the first section, verses 18 to 25, and one of the first things he talked about was the crucified, the, the crucified God was offensive to everyone. If you remember, he had the picture, uh, the inscription with the guy with the donkey head on the cross saying this guy is worshiping his God. It was offensive. It was foolish. But Paul's first argument is we've got to repent of uh, human wisdom and relying on self because the cross actually destroys self-reliance and human wisdom. He says we, we can't ever do enough or know enough to please God on our own. We've got to humble ourselves Acknowledge our need for Jesus' death on the cross for my sins. I think if you remember Nate sharing his story on the roof overseas when he met his need for the cross for the first time. So it destroys, the cross destroys self-reliance and human wisdom. And the second reason we need to repent of those things is Nate talked about in chapter 1, 26 to 31. He has Paul saying, hey, remember who you were before you came to Christ. He said, you guys are trusting in your own wisdom and your own giftedness. And he said, actually, you guys were nothing. You were nothing when I preached the gospel to you. You didn't have all this wisdom. You didn't have all this giftedness. You were lower than a slave is the word he uses there. And if you remember, Nate said they were boasting all these things, but three times in the passage, there's the phrase, God chose, God chose, God chose. And so he is calling them to repent of self-reliance and the boasting in their own gifts and wisdom and instead boast in God because they were nothing when they came to Christ, when God saved them. So that's a little where we've been. We're picking up on the argument here about the cure for division, right? We're in a divisive country politically. We're in a divisive country theologically. We're in the church where these churches are splitting over side issues, and Paul says we need to repent and have unity. And so the, the Corinthians were not only boasting and comparing themselves to each other, but they were actually accusing Paul of not having wisdom, that Paul was not spiritual, that Paul's gospel of the crucified Christ, they called it milk for babies. We've moved on from that. And so let's continue as Paul calls us to be unified through repentance of our self-reliance and human wisdom. And so the third reason out of this argument that we're going to look at is chapter 2, 1 through 5. If you've got your Bible, open it up. If you've got a phone, pull it up. But the reason we're to repent of our self-reliance, this pride in ourselves and our human wisdom, is because he's calling them to remember when they first heard the gospel, he says they were not saved by human wisdom. They weren't saved by giftedness. They were saved by trusting in the foolish message of cross of the of the Christ crucified then spit that out Christ crucified so here in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2 he's just reminded them to look at their past now he says remember when i came to you it was the same with me you guys were nothing well it's the same with me i was nothing when i came to you i didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as i proclaimed to you the testimony about god for i resolved to know nothing while i was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear, and with trembling. He wasn't coming with these just, he wasn't in his zone of giftedness and strength and power. He was, I'm really struggling. 
And his message and his preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And the reason is that their faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That is what our faith rests on, the power of God in the crucified Christ. Paul reminds them that the message itself was not human wisdom. It was the foolishness of a God who was crucified. That is what saved them as they repented of their sin and put their belief in that Jesus was crucified for their sins. The message was not the human wisdom. The message was foolishness to them. And he also reminds them that he did not come in human wisdom in this giftedness, this eloquence, this rhetoric. He came broken and weak. Many people think he had this physical ailment that he was very much struggling physically and he was weak, and he just shared the simple message of, cross, of the cross of Christ. And that is what saved them, the message of the crucified Christ for their sins. Not the power of human wisdom, not the giftedness, not the persuasion. And Paul's reminding of them of that so they would stop trusting in their own pride, in their own self-sufficiency, and on God's power instead. He said, if the, if the Holy Spirit saved you with the simple message of Jesus, crucified for their sins, why are you now relying on human wisdom? Why are you now arrogantly boasting in your gifts? Human wisdom cannot comprehend the cross. It's foolishness to them. And so he says, why are we dividing? Why are we competing? Why are we comparing? Why are we jealous? It's because we're thinking wrongly. It's so tempting, isn't it? Like in a room like this, we can compare ourselves to each other. We can compete with each other. We can be jealous. It's easy on campus, right, to identify with a certain campus group and to look down on other campus groups because they have a different way of doing ministry or they have a different emphasis or different strengths and you say well they're different than we are we're better at this and it starts bringing division but Paul is saying style and gifts did not save us it's not the style of campus ministry or church or the leaders that save you it's not your a style of life group it's not the man challenge that you all do every week in life group that saves you but it was that Jesus Christ was crucified and he was resurrected to defeat your sin. Challenge will not save you. We are not your savior. Stumo will not save you. No campus ministry will save you. No staff person or leader will save you. It is the gospel that saves and so we've got to repent when we are jealous or competing or comparing because we are relying on ourselves, on our giftedness. And Paul says, you weren't saved by those things. Why are you trusting in them now? So another reason, he says, the cure for division and quarreling is uh, through repentance of self-reliance and human wisdom is because, he says, everyone is totally dependent on the Holy Spirit for our faith. Everyone is completely dependent on the Holy Spirit for our faith. 
This whole section of verses 6 through 16 is all about our dependence on the Holy Spirit. And it's his argument to say, why are we relying on ourselves? Why are we being arrogant and divisive? And here's what he says in verses 6 through 10. He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but it's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that, had, that God had destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed through his spirit. Paul says he does speak a message of wisdom, but it's not human wisdom because this world and its wisdom is passing away. It's coming to nothing. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. And when we do, we enter into the kingdom of God, which lasts forever. This world and its wisdom is passing away. So why would we put our trust in it? He says, this message is wisdom of Christ crucified, but it's a mystery. So how many of you like mystery, you know, shows or whatever? What's, uh, what's the Knives Out? You guys like Knives Out? You know, it's like trying to figure out who stabbed the guy or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. That's, that's not the kind of mystery. He's not like you got to get um, Daniel Craig in here and help you figure out what really happened. That's not the mystery he's talking about. All it is, it's just a way that says God's wisdom, his plan to bring a broken, sinful, rebellious humanity back into loving relationship with him, that plan had been hidden. It was just people couldn't conceive of it. But now it's been revealed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That was his plan to bring broken humanity back to God. And he says, the world can't see it. And he quotes Isaiah, it's this uh, book from the Old Testament, written a long time before Jesus was around. And Isaiah was pondering, God, our, our hearts are so twisted, our hearts are so bent on disobedience. How can you possibly change us from the inside out and bring us back to relationship with you? He's pondering this question. And he writes this idea that there is no I. There's no human eye that can see how God is going to do that. There's no human ear that can hear how God is going to do this. There's no human mind that can even dream up God's plan, his wisdom to bring broken, sinful people back to the loving God. We can't imagine that God, the creator, would come inside of a woman he created and be born as an embryo. That blows your mind, right? And he lived a perfect life, and he became a servant to death on a cross to take the wrath we would deserve so that he could have fellowship with us, his enemies. Our brains cannot conceive of that, but that's what it means, the mystery that was hidden. No eye could see it. No human mind could conceive it. But God, in his generosity, he graciously revealed his heart by the Holy Spirit. And we're totally dependent on the Holy Spirit to see it, to hear it, to conceive of it. And so how can we take pride? 
We're blind, we're deaf, we're, our brain is closed off to it, but the Spirit reveals it to us. That should humble us and, and stir gratitude and worship. But we easily take pride in the things we believe in. We easily take pride in our gifts that are from the Spirit. We need to repent of relying on ourselves, remembering that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. The second way he says we're dependent on the Spirit, verses 10 through 12, he says the Spirit searches all things and that all things is referring back to this salvation through the crucified Christ. Even the deep things of God, again, it's pointing back to the crucified Christ. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Can anybody guess what I'm thinking right now? Just throw a guess out there. That's not what I'm thinking. I do love Jesus. Pizza, that's another one. No, I'm thinking of a pink hippopotamus on a rainbow. That's what I'm thinking of. But how would you know that? You can't know my thoughts. The only thing that can know my thoughts is me, my spirit within me, because you're out there and my thoughts are in here. You can't break through that to know my thoughts or my motives. Paul says, we all know that. I can't know what you're thinking. I can guess, but we can't know what you're thinking. But he says, that's how it is. The same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. His spirit. And he says, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but we have received the Holy Spirit who is from God. And the reason is so that we may understand what God has freely given us, this salvation in Christ crucified. He says, just like you guys can't know my thoughts, God is other than we are. He is the creator. We are the creation. There is a separation there, and we cannot know his thoughts, but the Spirit of God becomes like a conduit or a link to where we can begin to know the thoughts and the heart of God. We're dependent on the Spirit of God to know his mind and his heart, and we receive the Spirit of God when we trust in him in salvation. More about that in a minute. It's this link. The Spirit of God links us. In John, it says the role of the Spirit is to teach us, to remind us of Christ crucified on our behalf. So we're totally dependent on the Spirit of God to know the heart of God. Another thing we're dependent on the Spirit for, verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. And this is kind of a complicated Greek sentence, and your ESV may read a little different, um, just without going into all the complexities. Uh, the, the people I was reading said, this is the better translation, so went with that. I'm not a Greek scholar, but they are. And so Paul goes on to say here, not only are we dependent to know the mind of God through the Spirit, not only are we dependent to see God's plan through the Spirit, we're totally dependent on the Spirit of God to speak spiritual things about God. We can't communicate Christ crucified, and we can't explain spiritual realities without the Spirit of God. We can't do it. We cannot take pride in our gifts. You may be great at evangelism. You may share the gospel and people come to Christ. It's the Spirit of God 
who has gifted you. It's the Spirit of God who has enabled you. You may be able to be a great life group leader and have a great discussion around the Bible and people understand it. It's the Spirit of God, not you. He's gifted you. You know, the worship team, they can get up here and lead us to the spiritual realities through music and lyrics, but they cannot do it on their own. It is the Spirit of God. I cannot get up here and communicate the gospel without the Spirit. We are totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. There is no room for arrogance. There is no room for pride. I was meeting with a guy, this guy, uh, several years ago. He was awesome. I love him to death. Still in contact with him. I mean, he was just like the catalytic leader. You know, I mean, he meet people. He's a networker. He was sharing the gospel with people all the time. So gifted in it. And I mean, like every week, he's meeting somebody else, sharing the gospel. And we sat down one time, and he said, you know, I'm just getting really frustrated with some of our leaders. I'm like, oh, yeah, tell me about that. What about that? He said, well, they're not being intentional with people. Nobody's sharing the gospel. And he said, I just, it just frustrates me. And he said, sometimes I wonder if they're even saved. So I said, hold up. Let's, let's back that up a little bit. What are you relying on? Where, hold on. Are you relying on your gifts to think that you're up here and that they're down here? Do you see how relying on giftedness brings division? And he's a great guy. But he had to repent and come back to say, oh, the Spirit of God is the one who gifted me with this passion for evangelism. I'm no better than anybody else. And he had to repent so that unity in our body would be there. All of our abilities come from the Spirit. And so we repent of independence and pride and worldly wisdom. The last thing from this little section here on the Spirit, verses 14 through 16, he's talking about people with the Spirit, people without the Spirit. So he's talking about people who are Christians, who have been saved and given the Holy Spirit at salvation, been sealed with the Spirit, and those who have not. They're not believers. This is a misinterpreted passage a lot of times. But the person without the Spirit, a non-saved, non-Christian person, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness. And they cannot understand them because they are discerned only by the Spirit. The person with the Spirit, the believer who has been sealed with the Holy Spirit, they make judgments about all things, meaning all things regarding salvation in the crucified Christ. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And then he quotes again Isaiah, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Again, he's saying how dependent we are onto the Spirit. A person who is not a believer, who doesn't have the Spirit, is not able to accept the message of Christ crucified as the wisdom and power of God. The Spirit of God has to open their eyes. The Spirit of God has to open their mind, to open their ears. Human minds cannot conceive of it. That was in Isaiah. Without the Spirit drawing us, we reject the message as foolishness. And so guess what? The only way any of you trusted in Christ is because the Spirit opened your eyes. It's not because you're great. It's not because you have this great wisdom the Holy Spirit opened your eyes so that you could repent and believe. 
And so that gives us humility. Humility with people who are not believers. And it gives us patience and kindness. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to open their eyes. They cannot see it unless the Spirit does that in their hearts. You could not either. So stop taking pride and looking down on non-believers. Without the Spirit, we try to instruct God, right? How many of you have ever been frustrated with the, gay, with the way God runs things? Yeah, I have. And we rage against God, and when we, when we are not living by the Spirit, we instruct God about how He should be doing things, right? Have you guys seen Bruce Almighty? Yeah, Jim Carrey, like, I can run the world better than you, right? And that quickly unravels. But that's kind of the idea here is that who has known the mind of God so that we can instruct him on how to rule the world? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. But he says, we have the mind of Christ. When we surrender to Christ, when we are uh, come to faith, through repentance in the crucified Christ. He seals us with his Holy Spirit and we have this mind of Christ. We have an open door to the thoughts of God. It is all the grace of God. All of it, every drop of it. We're totally dependent on his spirit to understand Christ crucified, to speak of Christ crucified, to explain Christ crucified, and to accept the message of Christ crucified. It is all because of the spirit of God. There is no room for arrogance, no room for pride or division. We are incapable of doing any of those things. And so we have to repent of pride in our wisdom and our gifts so that we can heal division and be unified. The last reason Paul gives about why this is the cure for division and why we need to repent of these things is because when we rely on these things, human wisdom and our giftedness, our self-sufficiency, we act like non-believers who do not have the Spirit of God. He says, you act like you don't even have the Spirit of God. He says, brothers and sisters, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, or maybe it says natural. Uh, it's the idea of someone without the Spirit of God, an unsaved person, mere infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, and I think he's saying, this is what they were saying of him. Oh, you just have milk of the crucified Jesus. We've moved on to meat. We moved away from the milk you gave us. He says, I gave you this milk because you were not ready for the solid food. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly or fleshly. Since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? When one says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Challenge, or I follow Stumo, or I follow Navigators, are you not being mere humans without the Spirit of God? You're acting fleshly. He's rebuking that spirit of division and jealousy and competition. He affirms them. They're believers in Christ. They have the spirit of God within them. But, because, but he says, if you've got jealousy and quarreling and division, you're acting like you do not have the spirit of God. And it is time to repent. They've turned away from the wisdom of God. 
from finding their identity in the cross of Christ, that they've been bought with a price and they are not their own, and they're on a level playing field in the cross. Paul says you think you're spiritual because you've moved on from this message of Christ to deeper things. But he says the gospel is everything. The gospel is the milk of salvation. It is the meat and potatoes of maturity. We never move past the crucified Christ. As we mature, that truth just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. And it exposes the way we rely on ourselves exposes the way we rely on human wisdom. And as God graciously reveals that, we repent and we become more and more humble. Christ crucified gives us our values. We don't have to prove we're better. We don't have to prove to others or compare with others or compete with others because we are totally dependent on Christ crucified for our identity. We're totally dependent on the Holy Spirit to know God. We're all on level ground before the cross. We were bought at a price. We are not our own. So I've got this slide, this last slide. This is just kind of some ways to think about the false spirituality of trusting ourselves versus the true spirituality of trusting God. And so... This false spirituality says, I'm spiritual because I have certain gifts. Others do not. I look down on other believers because they're not as gifted as me. I had a talk with a guy one time, a family member in the car, and he was telling me that I was a lesser, I was a lesser Christian, that I really didn't have access to the deep things of God because I didn't have a specific gift. And uh, that's false spirituality. Trusting in your gifts rather than trusting in the cross of Christ and his spirit. So another one is, I am spiritual because I'm in a group that has the right style or the strategy or the method. And I look down on other groups or I compare or compete with them. It's false spirituality. It's trusting in human wisdom. I'm spiritual so I look down on non-believers because of their lifestyle or because they don't believe the gospel of Christ crucified. That's false spirituality. It's arrogance. I'm spiritual because I've moved on from the milk of the gospel of Christ crucified and on to deeper things, whatever those may be. I've moved past Jesus crucified. I'm spiritual because of my spiritual performance, my spiritual disciplines, good behavior and wisdom. So, you know, when I'm reading my Bible... Every day, I'm being really spiritual. If I miss a day, I'm not being very spiritual. It's based on my performance and my disciplines. It's true spirituality, trusting God instead of ourselves. I'm spiritual when I realize that Christ died for my sin. He bore the wrath of God that I deserved so I can be right with God, set apart for his mission and freed from the power and the penalty of sin. And so I repent and I believe the gospel. That is true spirituality, relying on God. I'm spiritual when I realize my total dependence on the Holy Spirit to accept the truth, to understand it and to share it with others. You see humility I'm spiritual when I'm humble toward non-believers, knowing my own dependence on the Spirit and accept the gospel of Christ crucified is only coming through the Spirit. So how are you doing 
just relating to non-believers, people that frustrate you, maybe that, are, that mock you because of your faith. Humility, because we understand the Spirit of God is the only one that has opened our eyes. I'm spiritual when my identity and my purpose come from Christ crucified, and I see that life is found in dying to a self-centered life. Self-sacrificial living is life. And then I'm spiritual when I trust Christ's performance on my behalf. So here in just a minute, I'm going to pray if the worship team wants to come up. And I don't know what resonates with you, but on that, here when the worship team comes up and maybe we sing, I want you to think about which, which column am I in? Am I trusting in myself? Am I trusting in my giftedness? Is it breeding pride and division? Or am I trusting in the gospel that Jesus has crucified, was crucified for my sins? Which do you find yourself in? Let me pray as the worship team gets set up here. So. Lord, thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, thank you for your generosity that though our hearts are hardened and that we cannot conceive of the gospel, we cannot hear the gospel, we cannot see the beauty of Christ crucified on our own. But in your generosity, you sent your Son to show us the way. He lived a life and showed us what you were like, and he went to a brutal death that we deserved. And he bore the wrath of God of all the sin of all eternity poured out on him instead of us. And he was buried and he was raised to life conquering death and sin and offers us eternal life starting here and now. Thank you for your generosity in the Son. Thank you for your generosity in the Spirit that you have given us the spirit to understand, to accept and not reject the gospel, that you empower us to speak of the gospel through the power of your spirit. Lord, we ask that your spirit would point out areas in our lives where we have arrogance. Maybe it's our money, maybe it's our appearance, maybe it's our giftedness, Maybe it's our popularity. I don't know, God, but where are we arrogant to where we look down on others? God, give us repentance and that we can have gratitude to, for those things that you have given us those. God, would you protect us from division? Would you protect us from comparison and competition? Lord, but that you would fill us with the Spirit to lay down our lives for others with humility and a secure identity at the cross of Christ. It's in your name we pray, amen.